Hey, welcome to another edition of the Give Me Liberty podcast. Today we have Dr. Jeremiah Johnston, founder of Christian Thinkers Society, but also author of a book called Unleashing Peace, answering the most important question in our time. How do we have peace? On the Give Me Liberty podcast, starting now. And welcome back to the Give Me Liberty podcast. Today, I'm joined by special guest, Jeremiah Johnston. He's the president and founder of Christian Thinker Society, author of the most recent book, Unleashing Peace, and also an associate pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church in Dallas, my home church. Hey, Jeremiah, welcome to the Give Me Liberty podcast. Ryan, I love everything you're doing. Thanks for helping us be better Christian thinkers, and thanks for your stand for Christ. It's an honor to be a guest. Well, I'm honored to have you, brother. Thank you so much for that endorsement. Um, you know, what we want to talk about, what I would love to talk about with you today, honestly, is just reaching this next generation. I think about the college students uh, that are coming on campus. Uh, we're, we're right now in the middle of a new uh, fall 2022-2023 uh, calendar, a new uh, school year coming right out of COVID. We've got high school students who are preparing for college. Um it is probably the most, I'm very hopeful, I'm going to say this, about this generation, very hopeful, but probably one of the most challenging cultures we've ever faced as an American church. Without a doubt, without a doubt. The challenges are such that we have to outthink our opponents, mm -hmm. our minds and taken captive in the spirit of Colossians 2.8, and we've got to take them back, Ryan, and that's what I love about your program. Oh, thank you. And so I, I, I just want to talk about, first of all, your book, Unleashing Peace. I think about the crisis uh, today in many ways. It's spiritual. When people talk about mental health, let's be honest, we're talking about the mind, which is really the seat of the soul. Um, and we have, to, we have to, every single day, make an appeal for Christ, compel men and women to come to faith in Christ. We want to win more. Um, we recognize that there is a high suicide rate. There's a high rate of loneliness in our country, probably the most connected generation ever than ever before. Uh, but these are superficial. Uh, we, we have so many things materialistically in this society. You can't afford them, but they're everywhere and they're readily accessible. Uh, people who are uh, literally starve for nutrition and exercise and health, but there's more food available than ever before, right? You think about all the things in excess that we have in this very affluent society, and yet people are living the loneliness, uh, the, living the, the lowliest and loneliest lives uh, probably on record here in the West. That's right. Depths of despair are increasing. Loneliness is all around us. What are we to do? What's the anecdote? Because we could sit here and talk all about the statistics um, and there's no question everything you said is accurate. 63% of young people who are entering the university right now are struggling with debilitating anxiety. That's the Harvard Gazette uh, who's pointed that out. We have despair all around us and yet we, Ryan, we who follow Jesus, we're the people who bring hope. And the great news is, is there's hope all around us. The challenges are different, the questions change, the truth doesn't. And that's why I wanted to write a book called Unleashing Peace, How to Experience God's Shalom in Our Pursuit of Happiness. I don't know about you, but I need peace to be aggressive in my life. 
I need the peace of God to be unleashed in my heart and mind. And when I open the scriptures, Ryan, and as I'm a Bible scholar by training, a PhD knows a lot about a little, the little I know a lot about in Bible scholarship <laughs> is the New Testament. And yeah. 550 passages in the scriptures that have this one very unique descriptor word, and it's the word shalom. And the Bible says that we can have peace with God, as you've just mentioned, through Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5.1. That's step one. But once we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, as believers, we have the opportunity to experience the peace of God. That's Colossians 3.15, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We could go right through the list. And yet so many Christians are allowing uh, everything you just said, a society of excess, the disconnectivity, the questions of anxiety, depression, and all the associated mental illnesses, to paralyze them in such a way that, yes, they know they have peace with God through Christ, but they're not living in shalom, Ryan. And as a Bible scholar, and specifically as a gospel scholar, this term shalom, so many seasoned believers think it's just a greeting. Um, and I've experienced this. And 70, yet it's translated 70 different ways in the scriptures alone. And the Bible invites us to live in the peace of God. But what I love about your program, Ryan, I was just in Santa Cruz over the weekend speaking in the People's Republic of California. And we had just such a phenomenal, we had a phenomenal event. And the church is doing well in California, the churches that stand for the word of yeah, God. Yeah, amen. And the, their largest attendance, kind of non-Easter, non-Christmas type attendance since before COVID. I mean, it was an amazing outreach. They're doing a four-week series on my book, Unleashing Peace. And I said that we have to get past the cookie-cutter fortune cookie bumper sticker theology when it comes to talking about the anxiety facing us today. And I'm an next steps guy, Ryan. That's why I love your program. And what are the immediate next steps? If you know that you have peace with God through Christ, if you have experienced salvation, according to Romans 5, 1, through faith in Jesus Christ, but how do we get to the peace of God then once we have peace with God? That's what I wrote the whole book about. And the really cool thing, Ryan, that's happening is I distilled the entire all of my research, 550 passages on Shalom, to Pete's plan. And my wife's like, you know, Jeremiah, you need to share your personal peace plan because the wheels fall off in my house like once a week. Ryan, I'm the multi I'm a dad of triplets, so praise God for all the multiples parents. God bless you and your wife for that. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my name's gold-plated at Costco for all the diapers I bought for two years. Um, it, it's just hilarious. You know, they, I haven't slept in six years since they were born. And then I have a teenage daughter, 10-year-old son, <clears throat> travel. I, I get all the societal pressures. And so I had to develop a peace plan based on living in Shalom. And praise God, you know, for me, it's living in the freedom that Shalom can give us. And so that's my prayer for everybody watching us today is, is understand the theology of Shalom. It is God's will for you to live in peace, not a truce. But we need immediate next steps and not fortune cookie theology to get there. That's awesome. Okay, so I want to dis distinguish in, in your introduction um, between two aspects. One is dealing with salvation in Christ alone, we, we believe in the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way to have peace is through saving faith in Christ, period. You cannot have it any other way. You can't. Now, a lot of people 
you know, they're looking for tranquility, they're looking for serendipity, serenity, all of these things, but it's not true, the shalom of God. It's not true peace, right? So that's part of it. The other part um, that you mentioned, for Christians who have a saving faith in Christ, there's probably doubts that are in. They might be living a sinful lifestyle. They're not being sanctified. They're not being transformed and being renewed daily. So there has to be a plan and there has to be, they have to inculcate and, and, and cultivate uh, a spiritual pattern of discipline, a spiritual discipline in their life in order to experience the peace of God. And so I know, I know many Christians who are struggling and they are, they are in fact saved, but they are struggling because they haven't disciplined themselves and trained themselves. Either, you know, it's a state of mind or it's even a lifestyle. There are things that they put in their way that have that have made that are unnecessary obstacles so they cannot experience that growth and the peace of God and they're under conviction because they're living that way. So maybe maybe talking about both of those aspects, uh, first of all, the challenge for those to know Christ in a in a culture that um, mainly thinks with feelings. Uh, it's feelings over facts, right? Uh, dealing with that aspect, how do we get them to know Christ first? And then also for the Christian who has been taken captive, Colossians 2, 8, 9, by the empty and vain philosophies of this world? Such great questions, Ryan, and thank you for giving the context so clearly. You and I are totally connected on this issue. When Jesus approaches Jerusalem in Luke 19 in his triumphal entry, he begins to weep. In fact, he sobs. The force of the Greek New Testament is he begins to sob, and he says, if you, even you, had known these days the things that would bring you peace, and yet they're hidden from your eyes. Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders of Jerusalem, and the irony is Jesus, Jesus is shalom embodied. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. They couldn't see peace as the religious establishment, even though it was standing right in front of them, embodied in Jesus Christ. And so many people who are watching and listening right now, You've missed the peace of God and your religiosity because you've missed Jesus. Make no mistake, shalom is spelled J-E-S-U-S. It be, there's a divine order to peace, and peace is countercultural. You know, the world wants you to lose your mind to experience escapism. They want you to be an avatar, a screen name. They want you to be a gamer tag, be anything what God's created you to be. And yet in the scriptures, we see just as you are right now with no effort, you have incredible, incalculable value. So much so that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, take your place on the cross, <clears throat> die for you and raise from the dead for you. And so Jesus right now says, come, I'm your peace. And that's really beautiful the way you put it, Ryan, because the peace that we have in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, it's a one-time transaction. And that peace cannot increase or decrease the peace with God. That's the beauty of it. Mm. However, there's the second part of the question. Paul, who of course experienced peace with God through Christ, Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. Yes. Paul, 2 Corinthians, is called the Job of the New Testament. That's how he's often been referred. Yeah. Paul had a panic attack in Troas in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. He actually says, if you're reading the NIV, I had no peace of mind. He had this great door of opportunity in front of him, and yet he has no peace of mind. And he's St. Paul, 
And by the way, we can speculate, Ryan, that Paul probably saw the Lord during his earthly ministry seven times. He heard Jesus' voice in oracular form in 2 Corinthians 12, saying, Paul, my grace is sufficient. How does Paul go from Troas in 2 Corinthians 2.13, AD 55, to seven years later, Philippians 4, and he gives us the greatest anti-anxiety passage in all the Bible. Paul, it took time, and this is where I want to encourage the people of God listening. The, it's freedom, not perfection, that we're going for in the Christian life. We need the freedom that only the peace of God can give. But it takes time. Transformation's a process. We believe salvation happens the moment you express faith in Christ. However, transformation, you use the word sanctification, it is a process. And we need for God to work. And I want you to let St. Paul be your guide because he goes from a panic attack. I truly believe he had a panic attack. He couldn't find his brother Titus. By the way, we don't get the whole story from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 because according to Acts 16, he meets Luke. Isn't it ironic? He's looking for Titus and that's the very spot God sends Luke. God gives us exactly what we need when we need it. He gets the Macedonian call. He comes back to Troas thinking he would never return. That city was a trigger for him. A lot of us watching right now, we have triggers, so we do avoidance. Troas was a trigger for Paul. Do you know God brings Paul back to Troas and he raises Eutychus from the dead, does his greatest miracle, Paul does. So again, there's a plan for you. I want people to hear this. It is God's will not for you to live in truce. That's the Greek word arene. It doesn't encapsulate shalom. That's just absence of war, absence of conflict. That's where a lot of Christians are living. No, God wants you to flourish. You can flourish in the midst of your anxiety, just like Gideon did in Judges 6. That's the first time, Ryan, we hear God described as Yahweh Shalom, my God is peace. He still had to go fight the Midianites, make no mistake, but he did so in the peace of God. We can do that as well, but there is a plan. And that and you hit, you hit a key word, Ryan. You said it is a discipline. So many of us, oh, I don't have the peace of God because I don't pray enough, or I don't believe enough, or I don't feel enough. I have an entire chapter in Unleashing Peace called Why I Don't Feel My Faith. My feelings do not describe my faith. My faith is what I believe, not what I feel. I wanna say that one more time. My faith is not what I believe. My faith, or excuse me, my faith is not what I feel. My faith is what I believe. Yeah. And we get that back, backwards in sight. So you can see I'm preaching now, Ryan. Sorry for I the love light. it. No, I love it. I, I, I want to I um, hit on one point. Um, there's a lot of great things you just said, um, and I think it's important for anybody to pick this up and, and, and read it. Um, but, you. I, you know, when you think about the peace of God, you said in the beginning, um, it's, it's the peace of God that makes us, a, I, I'm going to paraphrase, but makes us great fighters you know, you're using the example of Gideon. If it wasn't for the peace of God, it wouldn't make them fearless in the face of opposition and battle. And I think about today, more than ever, um, we, we hear this term, uh, it, at least in Christian circles, evangelical circles, happy warrior. Somebody who is joyful in the Lord, his joy is derived from God. But ultimately, yeah, yeah, we are, we are called um, to not only carry our cross, but the sword of the spirit. And, uh, and put on the full armor of God. We're, we're equipped for real battle uh, in real times. This isn't just fictitious, uh, fictitious battle. This isn't just a philosophical battle or, or something that is kind of superficial or, or, or metaphorical. It is a real 
battle that we're to wage war uh, against uh, principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. And uh, in the culture, it's very apparent where those battlefronts are. Uh, and for the youngest generation, I'm seeing students who are having to play the role of missionaries in local schools, public schools and whatnot. By the way, I'm a big advocate. If parents can do this, they should think about private education. They should think about homeschooling. But in the very least, they need to be absolutely involved in their children's lives uh, to equip them so that they are not just uh, sh you know, sheep uh, to be slaughtered, uh, cast out among the wolves um, as kids. So I just, a little bit on how it is that if we truly have peace with the Lord, we're not having a truce with the world, which I think is acceptance. And, and, and it's, it's almost like an affirmation today that the truce is, is um, you know, no longer is it something where you say, well, I'll tolerate this. Instead, it's, I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to participate in these things. Ryan, you just asked such an important question. And for those of you that are standing on the front lines like Ryan, who feel called to be defenders for the faith, first off, a great prayer that you can pray is the prayer of Gideon. Ryan, often before I go into these hostile environments, and our ministry, Christian Thinker Society, thrives in places is like Oregon, California, Denver, Austin, Texas, uh, Manhattan, Boston, these places where there aren't supposed to be any Christians. There are great Christians standing for Christ, and we love to resource and equip them. The prayer that we can pray is the prayer of Gideon, my God is peace. You know, most of the prayers in the Bible are short, but before God calls us to go into those places, we can say, Lord, you're my peace, you're my shalom, and I'm going to stand for you in the power that you've given me and the calling that you've given me, and I'm going to stand in the peace of God as I fight against ideas, things, false ideas about God, false ideas about truth, I'm going to stand against those things. And I think we have a real misconception, <clears throat> excuse me, I think we have a real misconception, Ryan, about what, a, what spiritual warfare is. We mm -hmm. see it as hocus pocus, weird stuff. Spiritual warfare is a truth encounter. It is false lies versus the absolute truth of God's word. And that is what spiritual warfare is. And so I love the Give Me Liberty podcast because you equip us how to do that well and to do it with grace and to do it in a way that is not embarrassing as well. Jesus was unprovocable. So we, could, we can be unprovocable, stand in the peace of God, and still minister and meet society at the greatest point of need. My goal is not condemnation. My goal in pointing out truth is redemption, always redemption. And the really neat thing about this message on Shalom, it's seeming to resonate in the most difficult spots in, the, in our country. I'm being invited to these quote, hostile places that are quote, all blue states, all, all left leaning, and yet they're hopeless. And so how cool that, to, you know, apologetics, Ryan, is answering the question our culture has about the faith. And so the truth doesn't change, but the questions do. And this is the number one question I've been asked. And so I'm so excited you're asking me today about anxiety and the associated challenges that we face as a culture, because I truly believe the church has the answer and it's a great evangelism opportunity as well. You know, I, just more recently, uh, I put something out there that some 
thought was controversial, uh, and I don't think it is, but, but uh, basically that Christians are called to victory. And, mm. uh, you know, some people took that as, oh, he's a dominionist, he's a theonomist, you know. And I, I was like, <laughs> no, we have to carry our cross, we have to die to self. But if you don't believe that the truth of God is advancing, if you don't believe what Jesus said, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, my question to anyone, a Christian brother even, is have you really examined the fullness of the promises of God regarding Mm -hmm. salvation? Because he's promised you peace. He really has. Peace that passes all understanding. Um, He's promised you joy. Yes, there's going to be trial. Yes, there's going to be tribulation. Yes, there's going to be there's going to be doubts and self doubts. Those things come along the way, just like you say. I, I, Peter modeled for us how to fail miserably, and Christ uh, uh, modeled for us that it is a salvation that cannot be lost. That if you are truly His, you will never. Uh, you will never be out of his grasp. He is the good shepherd. If, if Peter could lose his salvation, he would have. Uh, and the same is true for Paul. The same is true for me. The same is true for you. Um, but but we, we have these moments where we say, it looks like we're losing, right? And yet at the same time, I'm reminded of what uh, Christ says in Luke chapter 13, that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And it was that little tiny thing that grew that grew into this great big tree, and everything is perched in its branches. You know, be, uh, birds are living in there, and everything else is teeming with life. It 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 draws down shade, you know, from the scorching heat of the sun. The point is, is that we see that the gospel is advancing, and even in places like, by the way, my alma mater, University of Texas at Austin. I lived in Austin, very high unchurched population, but there is hope in Austin, and yeah. there are the people of God, and truth is advancing even in those strongholds. You're exactly right, and so we're the people who bring hope. You're not a dominionist, though, to say we are, we have victory in Christ. And the gospel, make no mistake, when preached, is unstoppable. And the church is the greatest force for good on planet Earth. I've written another book called Unimaginable, What the World Would Be Like Without Christianity. And wow, in the places where Christianity is marginalized and people are not saying that the gospel is unstoppable, I don't want to live in those places. They're not good places to live. And so as believers, we can we can take away the fact that there is a plan for peace in my life. And But you don't get there overnight. There is a peace plan that you can put in place, just like Paul did. You know, and we can talk about our pain, and we should do a good job, a better job as Christians processing our pain, but we don't live in our past either. Even as we process our pain, God's spirit within us can turn pain into our purpose, and then we can have peace. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. The name of the book is Unleashing Peace. Thank you for all you're doing uh, at Prestonwood Baptist Church and Prestonwood Christian Academy. Uh, Lots of young students, probably one of the largest Christian schools in the state of Texas, I want to say, right? I mean, it's huge. You guys are putting out tons of students. I'm going to go out, I'm going to go on a limb and say we're the largest in Texas, Ryan. I don't know that for a fact. I'm normally a citation guy, but it feels like the largest. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. I've seen it. It's amazing. And uh, definitely, definitely tell your students about Liberty University. Uh, Would love to see them up here. So, (laughs) Ryan, the opportunity that our kids could have to study learn from leaders like yourself who are able to speak in, you know, in the cultural vernacular and stand for our faith. Thank you for being 
a model. Thank you for being uh, illustrative for us of what this looks like to stand for Christ every day. Well, thank you so much. That's very kind. God bless you. Thank you for joining the Give Me Liberty podcast. And folks, stick around for final thoughts. Hey, folks, thanks for watching the Give Me Liberty podcast. Wasn't that a great conversation with Dr. Johnson? An amazing book. I really do appreciate how he uh, puts scripture into every thought as he processes it, uh, especially on the issue of salvation. Jesus Christ and Christ alone is our peace. He is our joy. He is our happiness. He is our salvation. He is our righteousness. We cannot be made righteous before God except through Christ. One of my favorite passages is out of Hebrews chapter 3 where it talks about entering into God's rest. And of course, that passage is talking about the Sabbath of God as, as it was regarded in the Old Testament and the law of Moses. And in that time in which they were in the wilderness, they had to regard the Sabbath as holy. And that is inextricably linked to the salvation of God, to the promise of rest that comes from knowing Christ. It is only through faith in Christ that we can enter into God's rest. It is only through faith in Christ that we can experience true shalom. Until next time, God bless you.